With Roleplaying Public Radio, this is RPBR episode 69, Critique of Cthulhu. And with me, as always, is Tom Church, and this time we have Caleb. We so, are both here. Yes. I just have the mic right now. Yes. Say, say something. Say something, Caleb. You can move the microphone <laughs> over, yeah. Hello? Yes. <laughs> I contributed. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Now, go, go, uh, play with your coloring book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Call of Cthulhu, both at the game system itself and talking about the thematic elements of the Cthulhu mythos, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I mean, this isn't about scaring your players. I, I think we've done, we've covered that before. We have covered that. We also covered that in Unspeakable. Uh, but I just... For those of you who are not familiar with the system, we want to have an understanding of what it's like, what the, the good points of it are, what the bad points of it are, uh, and if you're running it, what kind of things you need to be aware of without getting into scaring your players. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we also have a bit of news. Of course, we also have um, anecdotes and shout-outs. Uh, the whole so, bit. Yeah. yeah, we have the whole it's bit. It's going to be a whole episode. I know. Um, but first off, we have some news. First off, the Killsplosion Alpha uh, rules have been sent out to contributors. Uh, so the playtest is on. Uh, it's seventeen thousand words right now, and uh, you know, for fifty-page PDF with all kinds of skills and abilities and stuff like that. I know uh, Caleb's taking a look at it. So uh, we're going to give a month of playtesting to go out, and then if you get all your, for those of you who contributed, have the rules right now. Uh, try and get emails to me with a critique of the system, feedback on what worked, what didn't work uh, by February tenth. Uh, then we, I can process that all, revise it. Lay out the PDF and get the free game out to you. Then I'll work on the zombies versus human expansion, yeah. and we'll go on. And you the send, yeah, you send in the crude oil. He'll process it into gasoline. That's that's exactly what Ross does. That, that was a beautiful metaphor. <laughs> that, Thank you. I, I I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Yeah, you keep talking. I know because <laughs> I'm a horrible monster. Yes, you are. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, also the Minecraft server. Uh, we still have an RPBR Minecraft server. There's been all kinds of crazy building and constructions uh, going on in there. I love playing Minecraft admin now because it's like that Outer Limits episode, the Sand Kings, the the, oh, yeah, the, yeah. the show premiere. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's where a guy finds a race of intelligent ants from Mars, and like he goes in his house and comes back out. The, the ants have built like giant, you know, mausoleums and statues with yeah. his face on it because they wish. It. So I feel a little like that because every time I log in the server, like, oh, there's a giant Thundercats cat's lair, or and now an, a Optimus, giant, an, an Optimus, Optimus Prime. Prime, or a castle over here, or a submarine, yeah. or a Sea Lab. You, or, want, you, you want to guess who did the cat's lair and yeah. Optimus Prime? Uh, well, we'll let you, the yes. listener, find out. Uh, <laughs> we'll have a link to there, uh, but we're also going to be doing a ve- our first uh, official event on that on uh, January twenty second. That is a Sunday. That will be um, from three to five p.m. Central Standard Time. We're going to be doing the first Fern Gully LARP, and that's going to be basically uh, for those of you, <laughs> I've sectioned off, uh, 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 cordoned off a piece of uh, wilderness. 
in the Minecraft server where the idea is there will be two teams. One will be the elves and fairies and whatever, and they're trying to protect the forest from the evil developers. The evil developers are going to try and build, ha- destroy all the forest and build stone and metal houses. And the uh, Oh my god, mankind. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be like team construction and deconstruction. And uh, this is going to be sort of a freeform event. I'll be recording stuff through Fraps. I'll put it up on Railery when it's done. Uh, people will be judged on creativity. The, the, the Ruthlessness. Yeah, and ruthlessness. Uh, so this will be uh, interesting to see. And if you're uh, uh, one of the ops, one of the moderators, you'll have to turn off creative mode because that would be a little unfair. Because this will just be, be able to summon whatever you want. Yeah, and be invincible to damage. That would be a little unfair. So um, this. So yeah. And if you want to spectate, you can spectate. Uh, there will be 16 players. Uh, there's 16 players max on the server. So uh, hopefully we'll have a good time and the server won't crash. So uh, good luck. And then finally, in uh, uh, just general D- er, RPG news, we do have to announce that since it's huge, is Wizards of the Coast have finally announced that they are going to be doing a fifth edition to Dungeons & Dragons, their flagship game. Uh, it's called D&D Next. Caleb, and, do you have something you want to say? And uh, I just, Tom has already announced he's not going to buy it. Is that real? I mean, you're not going to buy it? You it's, have- it's real today. Things change. I yeah. will say that. Okay. But dude, like, no, no, I cannot buy another D&D. Damn it! <laughs> it's been four years, Tom. I think you. Can it's buy- been four years, Tom. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you do. No, I don't. You just. So I don't. Ha- so you're having a rigid 24-hour boycott for the game that hasn't been released yet. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. After, way, to, way to stick to your convictions there. I mean, after 24 hours, things will probably change. I'll have to reevaluate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll have to look at the look at the budget for the game that's not out. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you did buy the Innsmouth expansion for Arkham Horror just so you could become a deep one in the game. Twice, you know. So, <laughs> was worth it. Yeah. Uh, so. Wow, that's pretty pathetic when you think about it, but here I am. <laughs> So uh, we have uh, uh, all kinds of things to look for. So when we get more information about that, we'll obviously do an episode about that topic. Uh, but it's a little early, I think, to do that. Uh, and, just, uh, uh, but it's there. So. Yeah, so it's there. Um, and I, I do admit I do and have an anti-Pathfinder prejudice sure. because they fucking won the award at the Ennies that Road Trip should have won. So we will never play Road Path. No, really. I, I just don't care. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. No, we all – we know. I think we – Almost played Pathfinder with RJ once. No, we did play one session of it, but so you that's that. I just haven't that, posted it because it was you know. And that could, it was supposed to be a campaign, but we only did the one session of it. So it's like kind of like ah, here's something that happened and will never be completed. So, but yeah. you played it, so yeah. uh, you can never claim that you'll never play. it. No, I mean like post it on the actual podcast. Yeah. Oh, it will never see the light of day. Yeah, because I'm not gonna run it if somebody else does. It's just one shot. We, we might, but anyway. We have stuff to talk about. It will be your secret shame. (laughs) My secret shame. Oh, one of many. Uh, Ross, I thought we weren't going to talk about that. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, Call of Cthulhu, why don't we talk about that? Um, Yes, why don't we? So Call of Cthulhu is, of course, one of the mainstays of the RPG, you know, world. And Uh, RPPR in particular. Yeah, uh, it's been around, you know, since the 80s. Uh, It is... um, you know, consider one of the big, you know, after World, there's, you know, D&D, World of Darkness, and Call of Cthulhu, and, you know, maybe then Palladium or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Ross. <laughs> but, um... Caleb Stokes, ladies and I know and a lot of you have, uh, <laughs> listeners out there have played it, but not all of you have. So first we're going to talk about the system itself, its advantages and disadvantages. So, um, I think... Shall we start of, with the good? Yeah, we'll start with the good. So... Because uh, it's like a critique sandwich. You have some good, then a little bad, then some more good, and, and yeah. That, 
That's same, how that's supposed to work. You right? make a sandwich. You put like, I love this stuff. Oh, I really hate this stuff, but it's going on there. Yeah, because I don't. I don't deserve it. <laughs> I deserve this. Anyways, um, it's a fast system. I think one of the yeah, it really it, is. It's fast. It's easy to make characters uh, and easy to learn. Every every there's no element about it that. I think players can't pick up on quickly. Even someone who's never played a role playing game before. Um, yeah, it's, I believe that was Caleb's first game with us. Uh, yes, my first game was The Haunting. Yes, which is on the actual play. Podcast. I learned some things other than <laughs> yeah. about how to run a Call of Cthulhu. But uh, yeah, yeah, had in a game run seriously. That's not a conspiracy against the GM. As that game was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's a good way of framing it. We were in a, in a conspiracy that I was not in on, yeah. so I thought that was this was just every week, <laughs> and I was like, "Can I make it to the door? <laughs> <laughs> Don't lose line of sight with the door." <laughs> yeah. But it is very easy to learn and very easy to I, pick up on as a GM too. So I think one of the things about it, it's not just the system itself, which is a very simple percental system. You just you yeah, know, uh, but it's also because you're playing a normal person. Like which it, you know, a lot of people hear that like what? Well, I mean, you're, you're playing like if you think about it, most RPGs, you're not playing like a normal baseline no, you, human. No, you're one of the people that stands above all the others. Well, no, I mean, like in D and D, you're playing basically a mythical, medi- mythic hero. Yeah, a medieval superhero. You know, someone who can take uh, inhuman amounts of damage. Someone with magic powers, something like that. World of Darkness, you're a vampire, which is a superhero with fangs. And Wild Talents, you're a superhero with superhero whatever, whatever. powers. <laughs> uh, I, hey, I heard you like superheroes. So I put a superhero in your superhero. <laughs> uh, that's thank you, Miss Old. Um, so, uh, in pretty much every or in you know Eclipse phase, you're still playing like a superhuman. I mean, like a trans, a standard transhuman in Eclipse phase is like would be a superhero in like you know the 21st century because mm-hmm. or supervillain, probably supervillain. Let's face it, supervillain. An immortal, uh, yeah, immor- yeah, an immortal person with. That with that kind of level of technology, right? Well, just yeah. Yeah, just having the muse in your head and that kind of uh, you know being a wireless router by default, you know. <laughs> uh, so it's very very few of the popular RPGs out there let you play a normal human, but it's that's very that's easy for a normal for someone who's new to role playing in general to pick up and comprehend. I think so. Yeah, um, and uh, some people might see this as a negative, but I actually kind of like that. There is magic, but it really, really costs you. Right, and it's very—it's not mandatory. Like, no. it, in fact, it's very hard for a player to get it. So it's up to the GM to do that. But, but once you do, it becomes—it become a great advantage, but also a millstone around your neck. Right. I, I remember Adam Scott Glancy talking about this, like in the latest episode of Unspeakable, talking about how he played Call of Cthulhu's. Uh, Call Cthulhu for years before he got his hands on his first magic tome. So, like, you know, you could play, be a very dedicated player and never have to worry about that. I think the only times I've done that are games where I really want to, you know, like, ha ha ha, you're going to get screwed up. You know, I want. Yeah, I mean, I actually ran Call Cthulhu for a group that were primarily, we play, like, we play superheroes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they, I mean, they said afterwards, they, they didn't know if they liked it. They said they had to completely change the way they thought about playing role playing games because you know suddenly that you can't just you know kick down the door with your with your dual dual wielded forty fives and save the day you you kick down the door of the cultist compound you're going to get perforated with bullets before anything supernatural happens right. This is true. This is uh, another. They could be viewed as an advantage or a disadvantage, or you know, a little bit of both. Is the deadliness of Call of Cthulhu characters will have you know fifteen. 
you know, hit points at most, you know, usually about 10 on average. So, yeah. It is a munchkin proof system, which is nice. It's munchkin poison. If, you're, if your group is infested with munchkins, yeah. lay out some Call of Cthulhu <laughs> and wait. Uh, and, and they will be gone by morning. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very realistic system. If you get shot, you're bleeding out. And you're probably going to die. Like, anything else touches you. Right. I mean, a standard handgun does 1d10 or 2d6 damage. Yeah, yeah. So so. uh, I like it for that reason. Yeah. Um, so that that's of course kind of an acquired taste, I guess. Especially if you are, your players are Munchkins, they're, they're going to be making characters uh, pretty quickly. Um, I think it, it's also uh, one of the things you mentioned, Tom, is that it's not dice intensive. Yeah, uh, you don't need a. I mean, you're obviously the primary just percentiles, and um, you might need some d sixes. Some d six if you're going to roll. If you're going to, I mean, if you're going to make shotguns do like d yeah. six. Yeah. But for the most part, you you really only need the extra dice for damage. Right. Everything else is pretty much resolved with 3d6s if you're going to make a character. Yeah. And then your percentiles. Yeah. So you don't have to pack around, you know, 600 dice. Right. I mean, that's very... Like, like Wild Talents, everyone has to have, like, 10 d10. Yeah. Um, Also, you know, D&D, you have a lot of different dice for different... Yeah. And magic missiles do D4, well, depending on what edition and what version of the rules you're Mm, using. Indeed. Uh, And so on and so forth. And... um, yeah, I think that's that's an advantage. Again, that also is like how it's easy to pick up and how it's easy yeah. to learn. So it's also a lot easier to share dice among other players. Um, you also mentioned like you know how it's hard to munchkinize. Uh, you, meant, I know, Caleb, when we were talking about it earlier, that it's a transitional system. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, what you meant by that? Oh, um, I, I think it encourages better role playing from the players because yeah. you have to make a unique protagonist. Uh, without having, you know, I'm the one whose hair's on fire. Or <laughs> I'm the one who can shoot lasers from my eyes. You have to actually make it a personality trait. Uh, so I think it's a nice transitional system away from uh, more traditional RPGs where... Uh, I mean, I like I love the escapist fac- a factor of RPGs, but uh, I tend more towards the the shades of gray kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's just my personal choice as a player. But if you're trying to get the group into that kind of stuff, it, it, I think it's a good idea to maybe, if you've been playing nothing but D&D, start with COC before moving on to, like, Dirty World and just blowing their mind. It's a gateway drug to, <laughs> to, better things. to the indie stuff, I suppose. Right. Um so this kind of gives you a little idea of like the base, the the advantage I think of the system because I mean the system began in the early '80s and it hasn't changed very much since then. No, uh, it's also one of like for example because of its ease of use and its quick. Uh, speed like you can generate characters fairly easily, especially if you're familiar with the system. It's the only system that we regularly play that. I have the players make their characters for one yeah, shot instead it, of pre-generated. It, it, it's not time intensive because, like Eclipse Phase, you couldn't do that. In Wild Talents, I mean, you couldn't do that unless pl- you're playing a normal human. Well, I mean, I mean, also, yeah, even the players, uh, you know, who are just starting, they can get a character done in only about ten or fifteen minutes more than it takes everyone else. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's just counting up. Like, okay, you roll these dice, figure out and, how many uh, then, points and, you and have. And your derived values over here. Yeah. And then the most intensive is just picking your skills. Yeah, which ones you want to use, uh, which one you want to have. So yeah, it's a very bare bones uh, uh, character creation system. So and, and if you have, and if you got Bayaki, 
mean, shit. Yeah, that's so we're talking like I can get a character done in three minutes. Yeah, it's the by it's it's amazing to me that Baiki is still the best character generator I've ever seen outside. I mean, like the Eclipse Face is close, but like the the yeah. that that needs Excel. That's not a standalone program. Um, so Baiki is still, I think, the gold standard for character generator software because it's free, it works, and it's fast. So yeah, even. Um and I read my first game only having read the Quick Start rules and some Lovecraft short stories, and I, I thought it was okay. Uh, like, like I love Eclipse Phase to death, but I've read the Quick Start rules. And I can't imagine had everybody just read the Quick Start rules having a good game. Which was the first game you were in? Was it? Uh, Bryson Springs. It was Bryson Springs? Yeah. Okay. And so. I can't imagine running like a game like that based off the Quick Start rules alone. Like Somebody would have to know a lot more. Yeah, about, and that person would be teaching the game to everybody else. Yeah, who was confused after reading the eighteen-page packet. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it is a very fast system in that regard. Yeah. yeah, another thing I like about it. I mean, uh, part of this will actually be mentioned in the negatives, but one thing I like, it is easy to create new monsters. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty much. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, uh, like the ones, the ones that are set. You have lots that are set, but it's pretty easy just to think up your own. Um, that's true. That's true. If you have the idea for it, like the statting mm-hmm. mechanics, there's not like it's not like a D and D monster where there's a ton of stats you have to come up with. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, like the Fisher of Men that you did. I love that. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Did they even have stats? Uh, yeah, I, I statted those out. Yeah, I think okay. I did. But but yeah, you don't need much to stat them out. No, you kind of need to know what they can do, how much if they have an attack, how much damage it does, and beyond that. Well, I think that kind of goes into one, dovetails into the disadvantages. Mm-hmm. One thing is that the attributes, uh, the reason why it's so easy, one of the reasons why it's so easy is because the attributes in uh, Call of Cthulhu are largely meaningless except for uh, specific things. Uh, for example, uh, appearance. Well, appearance, but all of them, basically, like even strength, there's no, re- aside from lifting you know, and carrying weight, there's no penalty for having a low strength. Outside of a few things like possible it's kind of like, damage, kind of like palladium. Yeah, it's kind of like palladium. Like there's no, you're not penalized. There's there's technically no penalty. Yes. Yeah, for- oh well, we said the word. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb is going into a fit. Yes. It's his code word. He just sees red after. It, it, it's his Manchurian candidate. Yeah. Word. <laughs> Would you like to play a nice game of palladium? <laughs> so, and off he goes to kill somebody. Um, but I think like character like PCs uh, like and some stats are and they're unevenly weighed like power is ridiculously important in that uh, game because that gen- like luck sanity. which is well luck and sanity and magic points uh, which are used to defend against magic attacks which yeah. are used to cast spells with luck is used for all kinds of things and intelligence and education I think too uh, they're they're reasonably important yeah yeah because that skill, skill points yeah, skill and points. No- ID and knowledge uh, uh, attributes yeah but reflex like, and reflex Reflexes, a lot of like, or sorry, decks. Decks, yeah. A lot of stuff is ba- a lot of roles are based on decks. Yeah, but, yeah. They're like are- con, strength, uh, size, appearance. Uh, they're like appearance is almost totally useless. Like it's not a there's not a charisma attribute. You know, uh, it's, fa- it's persuasion and fast talk. Yeah. So it's it's kind of uh, uh, an uneven bag. So monsters you can assign them stats without having to worry about it too much because of that. Um, or characters. I mean, like oh yeah, he's got a strength of nine. Whoop de do. So you know. Um, 
you can you can go on investigating. So there's that. Also, there's a lot. Of skills are uneven too. Now that I think about it, like it's especially if you're not familiar with the system, you may not. You know, there are the, the, there are tiers of skills. You know, there's the god tier of skills. You know, spot hidden, dodge, listen, listen. You know, uh, and then there's like the B tier, which are like you know library use. You know, various weapon skills because there's a lot of different weapons. Then there's like uh, the skills that are either incredibly important or totally useless. Like German, if the book's not in German. And, you know, you're yeah. like, who cares? Operate you know? heavy machinery. Or, yeah, operate heavy machine. Well, operate- is vital yeah. for every scenario. Like operate heavy machine, even in the scenario that I have run, where I meant the whole purpose of the scenario was to use operate heavy machinery. No one but, fucking no one used did. it. So like, <laughs> operate heavy machinery is still the bitch skill of Call of Cthulhu. Um, you, uh, maybe pi- some of the piloting skills, or you know, yeah. something like that. Or photography. Or, or yeah, photography. Because like, no one ever takes a picture in Call of Cthulhu. For some reason, um, well, we're, we're too busy killing or running. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're accounting. Accounting. There's another one. You know, like actually, I didn't say credit rating too. Credit ratings again, like the, the your money basically. I mean, credit ratings actually used in publishing. That's kind of a C. You know, kind of not not yeah. like not an F, but not a not an A. So. Well, actually, that's another, I guess another thing. So, I, you that, can't. I mean, you can't really play a rich person. You can. Well, not really. I mean, you, yes, you can have credit rating, but yeah. I mean, if you want to be like, say, you you actually want to play like a uh, someone with enough money uh, that he unbalances the game. No, no. I, I mean, like, no, like you know the the play, you know the millionaire playboy character. Yeah. Which you know, especially if you're in the twenties. Yeah. It's really hard to do that because you're you still have starting wealth. Right. And so your credit rating is like, well, my, okay, I maxed out my credit rating uh, skill. Does that mean I have, you know, the penthouse in Manhattan, my, you know, my own ship that we could transport right. everything? You're like, well, no, not really. Like, well, then great. Yeah. Well, that can be hand weighed pretty easily. I mean, I think that's more of a game balance. And everything in the 20s is so cheap, you can buy whatever you want, really. Like, you can buy all the Tommy guns and dynamite you need without having to, you know. Which you must have. Yeah, well, that's just how it goes. So, um, well, um, Segwaying into another disadvantage, mentioning the uh, billionaire playboy 1920s you know, yeah. millionaire, uh, it, there's a problem with getting that billionaire playboy with the hobo the other person rolled up, with the investigative journalist, which with the, the tribal war fisherman. veteran and the tribal fisherman, <laughs> and let's all go. Like, they're, getting into adventure is a serious challenge in a lot of Call of Cthulhu things that I think a lot of Call of Cthulhu texts even recognize yeah. but getting all the pcs especially when they're rolled by players yeah. into yeah. the same place and on the same page is uh can be pretty difficult unless there's a lot of work beforehand <laughs> yeah that's because, why delta green so popular right? right because it's a great framing device for yeah. getting people with the skills that would be relevant for an investigation to go investigate you know you know l creepy shit so l creepy shit yeah uh so i okay. think that's, that, that kind of um goes into the fact that Call of Cthulhu, I believe, is, even though it's easy to play and learn, it's definitely more challenging to run than D&D. Because D&D has a very standard, you know, framing device. You go to the dungeon, you kill the monsters, you get the loot, you know, or you stop, yeah. the, and you stop the bad guys, and that's and it. Were, and you're, and in D&D, you have your minis and your battle mat. Yeah, well, depending on what edition, what rules you're using, like, but still, it's a very, you know, heroic literature, fantasy literature. You go here, do this, come back. Uh, in Call of Cthulhu, it's, you know, an investor mystery investigation game but you know call of cthulhu itself like is a skill-based thing and you can miss the vital clues yeah uh which is um i know you pointed out caleb that the the whole thing was 
because if you fail, they they invented the gumshoe system. You know, Robin Laws invented that solely to fix that one part of Call of Cthulhu, um, which was one of the reasons why it's so challenging to run. You know, the base game. Yeah, uh, that's something I had to learn. At, uh, comments. Thank you for the helpful critique that I was doing too much spot hiddens and stuff when I ran COC earlier. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. But you know. Mysteries are great, and but it's it's hard to DM that because if you really want a true mystery, you need to have multiple plot branches for if they are not solving the mystery. Like you need to be prepared for when they're just like the the cultist is Charlie Chaplin. Let's <laughs> yeah. let's mow down the mansion and drive away. Like set it on fire and shoot anyone who comes out. Yeah, like when when they have when they fail that check and they get some nonsense information as real, you have to be prepared to roll with it, or you got to railroad them. Like that's that's pretty yeah. much it. So. That's a weakness of the system. I think, and it's not just the system itself because, like, some of the Call of Cthulhu adventures, there's a real wide range. Like, Call of Cthulhu has the best written adventures in any RPG ever, but it also has some of the worst adventures. Uh, and in, and not just worse overall, but like worse in different ways. Like, I mean, Dennis Detwiller is a great writer, and his adventures are very well written, but they're fucking balls hard. It's like <laughs> I want to be that guy, except in Call of Cthulhu format. You know, it's 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 or super meat boy only you know uh, uh on the the challenge levels i mean they're fucking like oh yeah invisible rate yeah, i know i know we've gone into this before but like some called cthulhu adventures literally say like if you fail the spot check you don't get the one clue you need to finish this adventure they're fucked you know and they won't know it for three sessions you know <laughs> like there's there they, i don't know what it is but some adventure writers take the simulation really too seriously and like no that's how it'd be you know blah 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 blah, blah. in a yeah. world of giant cthulhu tentacle monsters we have to be as realistic as possible you know yeah another thing i've noticed that some things the skills don't allow you to really do like I think chases are one thing that I've never seen done well in Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, I think, I mean... And uh, let's mean, everyone loves a car chase. Right. I know, like, One Roll Engine and The World of Darkness and, and a lot of more recent game systems have really good chase mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully Kill Slotion. Uh, I wrote yeah, exactly. that. Yeah. Uh, but there were just complex encounters in, in general. I know, like, in Wild Talents, uh, one of the first se- sessions I had, like, a building was on fire and there was a monster inside or, you know, a crazy superhuman. Uh, and the players had to deal with both at the same time. And so that was easy to run in because I had – there's the fire and then there's the superhuman. You have to do this to get rid of that. It was a very clear-cut mm-hmm. game. There are very clear-cut game mechanics on how to do both at the same time. So players could choose what – I will do this and that reduces this fire's threat by you know X number of dice. But in Call of Cthulhu, it's kind of like uh, make a dex times five, you know? <laughs> to uh, uh, outrun the f- Fire? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there, there is, and like there, 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 the one thing I really hate is the resistance check, which is what they use for opposed skill checks. If you know, if you can, do, if you're like the classic example is if you're poison, you make an opposed check from your character's con versus the potency of the poison. But it's like if your con is eleven and the poison is eight, then that's there's that's three difference. Three times five is fifteen, so you have a plus fifty is sixty five percent. So you have a sixty five percent chance of resisting the poison. You know, and that's like, God damn, what the hell? Like, can you not do something better? Yeah, yeah the, the resistance table is really the one thing you really need to keep the book for. Like, yeah. if you're not and and weapon, all da- versus, weapon damage. And, and weapon damage. But, like, you write that down and you look it up and you don't need the book anymore for most of it. But yeah. the resistance table, there's that. I'm not crazy about the impel system. That could be just. Oh, really? 
that could be just me, just because I like the way EP does it better for critical hits. But uh, well, I'm, I'm not you... crazy for calculating percentages on okay. the fly of the dice. Just cause... well, can you explain to the listeners at home or not necessarily? Oh, uh, EP system, Eclipse Phase. Uh, if you roll doubles uh, and you're under your skill rating, then you get uh, a critical hit. Or if right. you roll a hundred, uh, or if you roll a hundred, um, and if you roll above and you get. Uh, a doubles, you've got a critical fail. So you still improve with, along with your skill rating. If your right. skill rating goes from 50 to 60, you've just added another chance to have a critical uh, success and taken a critical failure away. Right. But uh, the impale says, I don't even remember what it is off the top it's of my head. It's one-fifth of that. One fi- yeah, you're doing yeah. fractions and like carrying decimal points and yeah. stuff. If your skills, yeah, that's why I... I For the impale, and I'm not, I'm not wild about that personally if we're talking like... I think if a game should be simple, it should maintain its simplicity and, and otherwise. It's still a great system, but like thematically in terms of the rules, that stuff doesn't fit. Yeah, they're, they're, it, it, yeah, the rules are a little uneven in their difficulty. Um, I think that's why uh, every time I make characters, I make sure all of their skills are percentiles. Of, you know, they're uh, divisible by five, so it's easier to figure out that one-fifth. Like, no one's going to have a 64% of my character in my pre-gens. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Uh, but... You know, 65, ah, that's 13. I know that, you know. Um, but that, yeah, and that's kind of bad, you know, but that that's easily, I, you know, that that's not too bad, though. It's a nitpick. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it, it's a valid concern, though, because, again, it, it's it's got this disparity between playing it and running it. And uh, these rules, the resistance and the impale system and the lack of clear rules for complex situations – like not just chase, but you know, climbing mountains, for example, not to you know beat a dead horse, uh, but as you beat the dead. <laughs> but I mean, there's 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 very little ways. Uh, uh, there are very few ways um, to adjudicate these kinds of situations. One uh, another thing, actually, now that I think about it, it, just came to me is the the initiative rules for combat. There's no randomness to it at all. It's literally by the rules. It's just your decks. Highest decks goes first. And that's a very kind of like boring way I think of doing it because it, it doesn't add any like sort of uh, so a little ninja, bit. The ninja is always going to go first, right? And so that's kind of unfair. I, well, I mean, it's just kind of boring. I think you know, I give the the slow guy a chance to to get the drop on the bad guy uh, or the enemy or whatever. I love how long we've gone on disadvantages, even though we play this game like two or three times a month. <laughs> Well, I, I look at it more just like you know things uh, things that concern us when we play. Yeah. Well, because yeah. I, I still say no matter what disadvantage it has, well, it's clearly a it's fun st- system because fun. we wouldn't be playing yeah. it. You know, yeah, no, I, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. and also I kind of think the, the the sanity system, yeah, is a little hard to role play. Um, yeah, I think yeah we were all talking about that earlier. Uh, the sanity system is very simple. It's sort it's sort of the first one is basically mental hit points. Uh, and when you meet certain thresholds, again, with the one-fifth, it's like if you lose one, they're, they're very, like, the 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 triggers for going insane are very specific. And if you don't remember, it's like five in one, five or more in one uh, sand loss in hit or one-fifth in one hour of game time or less. Um, or ha- And, you know, there's a few others that I don't even remember, but those are the two big ones. And... Then there are random tables to figure out what your insanity is. You know, temporary, which you can, which you can use, right? You, those, I mean, those are option, optional. Uh, but we've mostly used. Them. Really kinda, to me, it's it's kind of hard to role play the, the uh, just uh, just a sand loss. I mean, it's easy to role play. You go temporarily insane. That's right. You pretty much you know like you roll. You, okay, well here's what happens to you. 
You can role play that. You're done. Right. But it's say you just lose three sanity. Like, what's that supposed to mean? Right. For your character. I mean, like, so how am I supposed to play that? Right. Am I supposed to? Oh my god! Or like, I didn't see that. I didn't see. I don't know. It just seems to me it's 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 kind of like my it was kind of my problem with hit point damage. Yeah. Is uh like so like you just took five points of damage. Like, does what does that mean to me? It yeah. Means you have five less hit points. So <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. That's the same thing with the sanity here. Right. Uh, there is kind of a level of abstraction there. I mean, uh, my personal interpretation is that if it's not enough to drive you mad, your character is able to, you know, any role playing is fine with, I'm because people react differently to stress. And I think even being able to laugh it off, like, Oh, this is fine. I'm happy. You know, that you know, like clearly to dine, it would be good role playing. So, yeah, I both, uh, I love the randomness of the table. Like, so like Bryson Springs, when Aaron went nuts and rolled amnesia, and then, like, walked skipping down the road with the cultists. I thought that was a beautiful, yeah, beautiful yeah. moment of the dice. But then at the same time, who wants to role-play nymphomania <laughs> at a table with a bunch of dudes? Like, <laughs> you know, like, that's going to get an awkward night. Uh, so it's it's got some ups and downs. So, well, Or unless you're going the Dick Marvel route for the more Santa you lost, the gayer you become. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, just a reminder that the listeners can listen to the AB3 stories and role-play Melville Grady, yeah. Um, Dick Marvel. <laughs> But um, and again, that also I think uh, again comes down to the difficulty in role playing or uh, uh, running a game for Call of Cthulhu because then you have to handle that for all the players and make sure that they're kind of towing the line. Um, but on the other hand, it does help you know reduce uh, one of the reasons why it's hard to Munchkin you know Call of Cthulhu because oh yeah you can have the Yithian lightning gun and cost you one d three sanity because your character is a physicist and uh, I'm just going to rule every time you've used that weapon it costs you sanity because you're a physicist <laughs> or, and that shouldn't work that way. It's like or if you're not a physicist. Assist, just yeah. uh, well, it's then you then you're gonna like you know uh, yeah, misuse like, it like or uh, like well, let's see, uh, I'll go, I'll we'll have a base skill of Yithian lightning gun at fifteen, yeah, and uh, if you botch, you're gonna get radiation poisoning, <laughs> which happened. Yeah, before. I remember that. That was good times. Uh, so and actually, I kind of like this one. Knowledge can be knowledge can be a liability in this game. That's okay. I'm back to an advantage. Yeah, I like that. That no, actual knowledge can be a liability. Well, aside from that, reducing your maximum sanity, which I don't think any character we've had because we've only done one shots, and uh, has gotten enough Cthulhu mythos to actually reduce their sanity. I mean, aside from the sand no, loss no, from reading no, the book, no, the, uh, the, to reduce our permanent. No, I don't think yeah. we've ever done that. Um, because we, I, you'd have to get like twenty or thirty points of Cthulhu Mythos, and getting that in one game session, your character's going to be crazy anyway. Yeah, you know, from you just, read the books. Yeah, well, you you talked to Nyar Lothotep. He gave you a seminar. You know, that was ThuluCon. Yeah, so uh, like, yeah, corporate seminar with Nyar Lothotep. Yeah, exactly. So like, does, does he go for the high quality hotels, or do you think he would just be like at a Holiday Inn? <sighs> I could see him in both, honestly. I think he, he works. He works in all situations. At the, he's a, at the, at the he's court, a man of the people. At the courtyard, at the courtyard Marriott in Cincinnati, yeah. Ohio. Exactly. Uh, so, it's like self-actualization in you. So we've been talking about the system itself, the the, yeah, the good and the bad. Of, yeah. Why don't we talk about the actual the Cthulhu mythos? And we're not going to be talking like how to scare your players because we've done that, you know, topic to death. But like, let's talk about them thematically and why some people are really like it and some people don't really. Well, Really dislike. I, it. I, I'm, just, I'm gonna go flat out and say I still really like it. Yeah, of course. I love all yeah. the old. Like the old ones are great. You know the just most all the monsters are great. Yeah, and yeah, especially especially the old ones, man. Those are they're really awesome. Mm-hmm. Very. I mean, yes, nameless horrors, but yet yet they're named. 
and can st- you can still describe them, and I like that. Yeah. And also, and also, they're really effective at being villains. Right. Every last one of them. Um, and I know, but there there is one issue with that, and it's also because the people who kind of predisposed to playing Call of Cthulhu are going to be the ones who are fans, and that's kind of leads to issues that I know you were bringing this up earlier, Caleb, about the the whole metagaming issue, which or you know the knowledge of the mythos. I know we talked about this on Speakable as well, or I did with other people. But uh, what what is your take on that? You know, um, yeah, I I I'd prefer not to use different creatures of the mythos because while they're while they're while they're cool mm-hmm. and i like reading about them and i love the stats in mm-hmm. the cthulhu book like it's 1d4 investigators per <laughs> turn. i love that they stand out all that stuff uh i think they're great to read in terms of getting a background of how the lovecraftian you know pantheon transfers into the game yeah but if your group plays a lot it, you're going to be an hour in. Oh, it's a Sithonian. Oh, yeah. well, it's a it's a fire vampire. Oh, it's a star. I know that's a, that's a happened to me. I know, like in the Zeppelin game, as soon as I I heard invisible and sucked blood out of different little porous little tentacle. Oh, yeah, that's that's a star vampire. Yeah, I mean, I, I recognize that. And and to me, if the point of the game is horror, that kind of sucks the weight out of the scenario. It'd be like if in the middle of the vampire movie, all the characters suddenly went meta. Yeah. And, oh no, it's definitely a vampire. We gotta get this, 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 and this, and this. And like, if that's the theme of the movie, that's fine. But it's not really a scary vampire movie anymore. It's an adventure well, I mean, movie it, with it, a vampire. I think I think it can be pulled off, but it makes it a lot harder. I mean, I think yeah. Fright Night, like the remake, we saw that a little while ago, and that I think pulled it off. Well, I I, I don't think it was a bad movie, but yeah. I wasn't scared. Like I didn't find it horrifying. I was like, okay, cool, fight the vampire. It was an adventure movie yeah. with a vampire as the villain. Uh, I wasn't like, oh god, like Salem's Lot or something. Like that. Well, the scene on the highway, I'm thinking that that, yeah, that, scene, yeah. that scene was scary. But yeah, yeah, the rest of it, yeah, I mean, because they get the crossbow and everything else, and, and David Tennant's in it. Yeah, this is it, true. It's know. hard to be scared when David Tennant's <laughs> on the screen because you're, you're giggling. <laughs> I actually said, but to me, I agree with that. But there's also a difference between just the monsters and the old ones. Yeah, the old ones, if used correctly, it's actually good that the players recognize that one because they almost never just suddenly show up. Yeah, they're usually the scene. They're usually the ones that appear at the end of the campaign. Yeah, and I think to, to me that's good that you know a lot of players, you know, players like they look, you know, they often play games, but you're like, God, it'd be really be great if we could actually you know encounter Cthulhu in this one because mm. you almost never do. It's usually always you know you read books about him. Yeah, and deal with the minions, but. The, the old ones are good actually to actually throw in there, even if you know them for the end of a campaign. They're great for a finale, yeah, yeah. I think. And I think that's what they should be used for. So really knowing them is fine, but it's the actual monsters that show up. Yeah. That I think, you know, yes, you're going to, oh, that's a, that's a ghoul, a deep one. Or, yeah, yeah. So. So, yeah. But then again, as I said, it makes it easy to make your own monsters. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, I mean, that's true. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, the thing I've noticed is that the themes of Lovecraft, or at least where Lovecraft survived, I guess, I guess his legacy is the mm-hmm. whole cosmic horror thing, whereas mm-hmm. you are small, petty, and insignificant, and your life is meaningless, right. as is everything you love. And that's really hard to represent in a game, especially yeah. a one-shot, or at least really hard to represent vividly enough that anyone wants to keep playing. <laughs> so it... It, it it typically manifests in like cultists trying to kill you, stop the gate in time, um, and I, I think that's what makes it a fun game and whatnot. Uh, but if you can get that into the game, even as a hint, uh, I think that's fantastic. Like that whole concept, as you know, none of this matters. You could win or lose, but 
it's going to happen anyway. Uh, you know, if you can even get that in there, that can be kind of creepy. But it's such it's so hard to do narratively. I don't think it happens though. But since it's such a physical confrontation, or at least it often ends up that way in Cthulhu games. I think Cthulhu games, uh, the, unlike Lovecraftian stories, typically build towards pretty big climaxes, uh, or at least my experience with them. There's usually some pretty big chase fight, you know, encounter with another dimension kind of thing that. It gives it a nice narrative arc. But. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's true. I mean, the, the, these stories, these games are always built on genre fiction, and genre fiction is always follow, you know, sort of formulas. I mean, you know, we talk about D&D's formula, but and Call of Cthulhu is, uh, I think you mentioned earlier, was the, uh, you know, find scary thing, find out about, you know, book that mentions scary thing, you know, encounter scary thing, scary thing tries to eat you. Or, or, or a doesn't. friend of yours encounters scary thing. And- right. So, and that explains why the tribal fishermen, the lumberjack, and the bil- millionaire playboy are all fighting evil together. So, uh, but I, th- I think, um, yeah, that's the thing about it. One of the things that always struck me that was interesting about Call of Cthulhu is how many people just stick to the, the, the canon, as it were, in terms of monsters and things allowable. I mean, that Lovecraft, you know, and uh, also sticking to the 1920s. I mean, I, I, you know, 1920s are interesting to me, but honestly, like, well, I, I mean, I, it, I, I prefer World War II myself. Well, I mean, Lovecraft was writing modern fiction at the time. He wasn't writing historical fiction. He was writing the here and the now. He was writing cutting-edge science fiction, yeah. uh, you know, talking about recently discovered planets. Now, not planets, you know, uh, and oh, used techno- and technologies and theories. So he would have been if – if he was alive today, he'd be writing stuff set in the here and now. And he would definitely not be worried about using the same elements over and over again. I mean, yeah, he – the gods over and over again, but he always made up new monsters or gimmicks or spells in order to make things scarier. Uh, so, and I think one of the things about cosmic horror is that it's infinite. You know uh, that there should be a variety of monsters, uh, not, and also and times you play in too. Right. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I like the Carcosa Adventures too, is because I can just go batshit insane with you know crazy non Euclidean architectural horror. You know, like ah, it's the room is scary. Well, yeah. it, it, actually, I heard it a, is I, scary. I heard right. of I heard a one shot someone did. They essentially there there were basically um, three players in this game, and they were they were playing. Hunter S. Thompson, Dr. Gonzo, and the hitchhiker they pick up from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Except all the shit they're seeing on drugs is actually real. It was essentially a whole, just a one-shot campaign done like that, which still managed to be freaky as hell. Um, so was it a campaign or a one-shot? It was a one-shot. It was a one-shot. But it was basically, it was, it was them driving to Vegas yeah. and just seeing all this weird shit. But the, and essentially, it's like the movie, except they're not, they, they didn't take a single drug. Yeah, they're just seeing all this. They really are in backcountry. Yeah, and, and, it, tur- and it turns and I mean, but they, the, the Carcosa was in this. Ah, well, essentially, of essentially, they, they were going to Vegas, but they they didn't they, they didn't really have a story they were going for. Yeah. But if, I, I mean, that's st- you can do stuff like that. In yeah, it. I think that's the thing is uh, one of the problems that is often level is like tissue paper characters, you know, because they're so fragile, and you can't really do a campaign about it without you know a whole conga line of characters to replace dead ones or crazy ones. And I know when I ran Mass Denier or Lothotep uh, all those years ago, I did that because one, I just wanted to do that that way, and, and two, we all wanted to experience that. Yeah, too. and that was Mass Denier or Lothotep, which is a really fucking lethal campaign, uh, but. I think the thing is, you know, I mentioned this before, uh, 
that you can do a Call of Cthulhu campaign if you know uh, that will be long and with relatively few character deaths or insanities if you know how to run it. And that means like understanding the pacing, which means like or because of how toxic the Cthulhu mythos elements are to characters, you have to really minimize it and you have to really emphasize the possibility of encountering it. So what you do is you do you know investigative campaign with a lot of legwork, interview and mundane threats and challenges, you know, like almost like, you know, a police procedural or, you know, a, a conspiracy theory movie or story, you know, something like uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Very good. Uh, where your characters are unraveling this mystery and then instead of uncovering a spy or a kid, they uncover, you know, a Shoggoth or whatever. So that kind of uh, gives you an idea of how to do a Cthulhu campaign that isn't going to be like replacing character after character every other session or something like yeah. that. So it's, it's again, the Call of Cthulhu, the, the challenge is in running it, which is a much higher skill level than like just playing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still like if you have some idea of how to run it, uh, you approach it right, you can do it you know, from the very first session like Caleb did. It's just a matter of having the right mindset to do it, I think, more than anything else. And doing uh, the right prep work. Yeah. Yeah, the right prep work too, uh, which emphasizes the mystery and not the mayhem so much. And not the door kick because the mayhem will come from the players or the monsters. Probably mostly the players, though. Yeah, the, the players. <laughs> let's, are, let's be honest. Players are psychotic. Well, they're pl- no, they're just players, Tom. That's just how they they're are. Psychotic, Ross. That's they're just it's player player logic. So we'll just leave it at that. Logic. Yeah. that's a nice word. <laughs> um, so we have a letter from Tom. Yep. And we then we of course we have shout outs and then an anecdote from Aaron's latest game, uh, which is about Lovecraftian stuff. So indeed. it ties in. So uh, we'll be right back. I'm not going to blow anybody's mind with the following, so I will just come out and say it. Players in RPGs are harmless psychopaths. Now, I say harmless because nearly all players will never do anything that would actually cause a problem to society, apart from being resource-consuming drains on the public coffers. That and the aggressive immobility of many gamers that could be considered another blight on our public image, myself included, but we are mostly harmless. But let's be honest, if the characters those players thought up actually existed in real life, our world would be thrown back to the primal law of survival of the fittest. The cities would be ravaged places where hordes of guns, sword, magic, explosive, and demonic minion-wielding PCs would be cruising around in their nuclear-powered road warrior vehicles or skeletal skeletal nightmare steeds, spreading violence, destruction, and cheap beer and ale across a blasted landscape. Yes, it would be worse than Detroit. So we can all agree, PCs are a rather violent lot. So much so that most of them go around wiping out towns or the entire adult orc population of some random medieval world. And yet many of those players have no idea that consequences might come up in response to their actions. And why should consequences come up? Most encounters are like bad action movies, where those that would enforce consequences would be nothing more than lambs to the slaughter. Entire squads of civil servants would be cut down mercilessly by most PCs, helpless before the onslaught. The only time most players have to worry is when all the underlings are smoking lunch meat, and then Oddjob shows up with his razor hat, or Lurtz, the only Orukai with a name, shows up and kills Boromir. So many players go on about their business without a care in the world. And why is this? Well, like most people, PCs want to have power, real or imagined. And there's nothing wrong with that. Power is a natural human need. Whether it's running a multi-billion dollar mega corporation or just spraying that roach in your kitchen with a steady stream of raid, pretending you're Red Adair on a blazing oil platform in the middle of the Caspian Sea. And for players, this need for power comes out in their RPG characters. 
Sure, Ralph Bieselman, who works for the count- works the counter at Office Depot, might not have much power on his own, but Ralph's 19th-level blackguard with a soul-devouring sword of megacock is the scourge of make-believia, feared by all from the local bootlick to the emperor of the land. And this is perfectly fine. We all try to escape our own humdrum lives from time to time. This is one of the many things that role-playing does beautifully. Escape from the mundane, a brief dip in the pool of imagination, and back into reality afterwards. So most players don't like it when their refreshing dip in the imagination pool is interrupted by the consequences that many times resemble those of the world they are trying to escape. That blackguard isn't meant to be arrested by the city guard for crimes against humanity. However, I put it to you that having a character deal with the consequences of an action they they or their friends have carried out can be one of the most fun things to roleplay through. I use the examples of a game set in the Mass Effect universe I have been following lately. In one scene, the squad of human and alien badasses stormed a building that was being used as a mercenary base. The squad consisted of a wide selection of brooding heroes for hire, the kind of soldiers that would swagger through a room of criminals, and demand that the leader surrender to them. If not, they were confident they could kill every armed thug in the room before anyone else got a shot off. I'm exaggerating a bit, but you get the idea. The group runs through the base, laying waste to anything in their way. They come across a scientist along with that scientist's child. They free them, but leave them behind as they are on a mission. Like many PCs, they plan for extreme prejudice measures on the mission, as in they wired the whole building to explode. Things happen and the building is leveled. The players emerge victorious. The hostages are free but be- free because the Geth player went back, in and went, went back in and saved them at the last minute, getting pretty damaged in the process. So imagine their surprise when the authorities show up and arrest them. Now, many of the players didn't expect this, but it made perfect sense. Yes, the building was being used by mercenaries who were engaged in criminal activities, but it was still a building in the middle of a crowded city. It was blown up without any thought to who what pedestrians might be right outside, and only one player went back to save the hostages. That player got praise from a canon character from the game, and everyone else was put on trial. And you know what happened? Many of the players found that the trial was a great scene to roleplay and actually felt that understanding that there were consequences to their actions that affected other people was a great character growth moment. Sure, some of the players disagreed, and some players still wanted more freedom to kill the bad guys as they wanted without worrying about what might happen. That's okay, too. That's what, that's what some players want, and if they can still work with the group and everyone else is having fun, it all works. Point is, don't worry if the GM suddenly hits you with a dose of reality after one of your PC-induced orgies of death. A good role player will recognize the possibilities in such a moment and may quickly find the experience worthwhile. My character Kyrop in Wild Talents is such an example, a career criminal who was finally forced to pay for the actions of his youth. And his trial and confrontation with his son was a great moment. And even the bad guys I killed in the game came back to haunt me. Bad guys who I had no problem crushing, mutilating, or dropping an air conditioning on. And I had to answer for it all, and it was totally worth it. What does your daddy do? My daddy drives big trucks all across the country. Oh, Timmy, what does your daddy do? My daddy works for the bank and gets the cow money all day long. Billy, what does your daddy do? My daddy waits for the day when the Elder Gods will rise from the wastes of Morthok and return Cthulhu to his former glory and power. For on the seventh day of the seventh month, at the seventh hour, the seven followers of Abraxas will throw the Chosen into a pit of madness to begin the ritual that will throw this mortal world into darkness for a thousand years. And, uh, and, and Adam, what does your daddy do? Stays the f*** away from his daddy, that's for damn sure. Uh, that was a good letter, Tom. That was entirely reasonable and uh, good good advice. Yeah. Are, are you feeling all right? Are you, yeah, uh, I'm doing fine. But it's, it's I would say that follow, following that game's been there's kind not of fun. there wasn't even that much 
you know, profanity or, you know. No, no, I just, I felt like I had a point to make here. Oh, right? wow. That's just... But yeah, it was really, it's really kind of fun. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's a web game. I see. So I've just been following Is it along. a play-by-post game? Yeah. Uh, I see. And I've been following it along for a few weeks now. And I see. I see. It's kind of fun, just, kind of fun just to watch them because I, I loved it that no one expected the consequences. Right. Yet when they happened, most of the players like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I know that. Yeah, I mean, you know, that we've had a, a, encounters like that in the new in other games like the New World. I mean, I know, uh, like the dinner party and things like that. People, I think, didn't anticipate being as good as they were. So, no, uh, I think that's when we are at our best. Yeah. I think. So you know, high role playing moments. You know, especially, I think. Well, D and D was different. You know, yeah. co- combat then is pretty much. I was like, oh, and uh, we're doing a numbers game now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, we have some shout-outs to talk about. So, uh, Tom, you had one. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old game that I actually got to play again, which I was really happy about. Uh, it's called Maniac Mansion Deluxe Edition. The LucasArts version? Yeah, the really old LucasArts game. They, uh, they released. Is a, that Day of the Tentacle and everything, or is it yeah. like uh, back on the it's NES? Actually, uh, well, Maniac Mansion was the first game before Day of the right, Tentacle. Right, right. Well, there's the Nintendo one. That, yeah, this, no, this, no, this is the actual... The, uh, no, it's not the original original right. computer game. That was really primitive. Yeah, yeah. But this was like the uh, updated of the computer game. I gotcha. And uh, it's well, I love the Nintendo game. Yeah. And it was really nice, and I still have that. But it's really nice to play this one. Is this? Um, how'd you get it? Did you get it through Steam or some other game no, service? No, it was uh, being released for free on just a download site. Uh, legitimately? Yeah. Oh, okay. But and um, what I love is it's really f- what's fun for me was seeing what they cut out of the Nintendo version. Uh huh. Like there's actual, you know, there's blood stains on certain walls, yeah. or uh, there's actually a there's actually a statue of a woman in one of the hallways that, that they got rid of because it's like a woman in a, a statue of a woman in a gown, and they felt that we're, we were showing a, we were showing a lot of 1980s pixelated boob. Ah, uh, yeah, couldn't have that. No, <laughs> that's going to be the thing that corrupts kids. That, exactly, that, that those yeah. pixels. Ruin forever, you yeah, know. It, uh, indeed. So, uh, but no, I like that because it's good to see the game the way it originally was. Speaking of things that are being ruined forever, <laughs> yes. uh, I just remember this. Uh, this is another thing from the eighties too. Is that there's a book, two books of uh, classics of children's literature, scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh my god! Yes, uh, and you mostly remember them because of the incredibly scary artwork. Oh my. That shit still freaks me. That's out. like yeah, pure grade A, you know, one hundred percent nightmare fuel. And they're releasing it's got the thirtieth anniversary edition is coming out. They're releasing it with new artwork. But that, the same guy? No, from different some, guy. Yeah, it's shit. It's incredibly like generic Harry Potter esque. Oh like, fuck that! Yeah, I know. It's, Dude, it's, those it's, scary stories were mediocre at best. Yeah, everyone remembers it's the all, artwork. It's about the artwork, which is yeah. Okay, I don't even remember which book it was in or yeah. what story it was in, but there was a picture of this skull-faced guy in a white suit. Yeah. And my dad called him Papa Jango because he looked voodoo-y or something. Yeah. Just stopped me sleeping for like a year. Like, my parents <laughs> to this day talk about Papa Jango and how much they hate him because the books terrified me so much when I was a kid. It's, it's a rite of passage. Yeah. There's a whole generation of children that will sleep peacefully. Man, we can't have that. That's yeah. Oh, the, shit. Actually, I remember one. I, you had to get the books now on eBay or a well, used I, I, copy. Yeah, so I even you, remember the story. Yeah. There's a story called Wonderful Sausage. Yeah. It's essentially yeah. like a guy yeah, you know, yeah. killing people for you know, for their meat. There's a picture of a severed arm holding a fork with a meatball on it. Yeah. 
and it's like a bloody severed arm. Shit like that. And this we is should for like, kids. We should organize a boycott of uh, HarperCollins, whoever's publishing it, and just tell them that <laughs> no, no. we, the nerds, demand the scary art. We want to traumatize a new generation of children. Dude, every uh, single one of those pictures was freaky in some way. Oh, my God. I just, yeah. That I, was what was brilliant. Sigh. I don't even know they're who ruining that, it I don't forever. Know, don't, I don't even remember, remember who the artist was. You, that me. You owe it to that man to have to have that artwork back in there. Yeah, I, yeah, or yeah, get the original edition. Uh, I actually have the original edition. I actually bought them a couple of years ago for using a little fears game. So nice. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so next up, uh, there's a movie. Speaking of horror and scary things, uh, uh, Caleb and I watched a Australian Australian horror film called The Tunnel, which is about a. Uh, well, why don't you tell us about it? Oh uh, yeah, The Tunnel is about a crew of Sydney journalists doing a story about a water recycling plant that's going to be put in the abandoned subway tunnels. Well, like they're going to – the idea, I think, is there's, there are these reservoirs that have been abandoned yeah. in water, and they're going to tap them and, reci- and you know, purify water the water. Water that's collected in these old World War yeah. II bomb shelters and stuff, yeah. this labyrinth of stuff, which is apparently really beneath Sydney. And so it's like found camera footage kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, of them be moving through the tunnel and being attacked by something, and it's really smart filmmaking on a budget. Yeah, and uh, there's some genuinely creepy stuff, and it's got a whole urban explorer element to it because yeah. they really filmed it in those. It's tunnels. great fodder for gaming, and they re- I, they released it legitimately through BitTorrent. Like they seeded the torrents themselves in order to get publicity for it. I don't know. I mean, that's how I got it, uh, and I don't know if they still have it out like that. It's been released in DVD in the U.S., uh, so it's a good and. Uh, it's probably on Netflix and all these other streaming services. So it's it's just a good entertaining you know horror film to watch. Yeah, so. it's, it's shot in a documentary framework. So uh, you'd think that would steal this the uh, suspense away from it, but it, it doesn't. It's still pretty. It's still pretty good. Yeah. Although I still love the cameraman at yeah. the beginning of it, as opposed to the uh, I wish he'd stayed that way. <laughs> Very jocular. Monsters. <laughs> uh, but that's about it. Um. Uh, I want to talk about uh, about urban things. Uh, there's a book I've been reading right now. I'm almost done with it called Instant City. It's a story of Karachi, which is the largest city in Pakistan. It went from – and it's talking about how it exploded in growth and size from 1947 when Pakistan was formed to now. It went from 600,000 people to 13 million people and, you know, from 1947 till now. And so that caused some issues, some instability. Well, like, it was like some infrastructure problem. A little bit, a yeah. Little bit. It's almost like a post-apocalyptic world in and of itself because – because many of these neighborhoods, what's really fascinating is the nitty gritty stuff, like the, how, the mechanics of how these neighborhoods operate. So it's an uh, interesting book if you're at all interested in how cities are formed, urban design, um, that kind of stuff, and corruption. Ooh, Sim City players. Yeah, Sim City players. Uh, Which I for, play the fuck out of. I'm reading games. it as research for my post apocalyptic game because I think Karachi, in a lot of ways, is how the post apocalyptic world will work. It's self guided neighborhoods and that kind of thing. Anyways. Uh, on a completely unrelated note, yeah, <laughs> um, I was looking through for uh, boring school teacher stuff, and I found a kind of t- cool tool for uh, RPG things. It's called Fake iPhone Text, uh, just dot com, mm-hmm. and it's just a text box, and you type in a line and hit enter, and type in a line and hit enter, and once you hit convert, it will br- it'll spit you out a screenshot of what it looks like as a uh, list of text messages on an iPhone. 
Uh, so I thought that'd be good for making handouts for games, especially mystery games. Like, yeah. you find the dead guy's phone, and it says, and you can pass that out to I.e. I.e. Photogon. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that would probably get autocorrected. But, uh, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's it's pretty good. So No, he added those to the dictionary. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We're dealing with a little five the cultist. Um, speaking of the internet and other things, uh, I... Am now a fan of Horse Ebooks, which is a <laughs> Twitter account uh, set up by a Russian spammer. To it takes random phrases from ebooks that it tries to sell you and just posts them on their Twitter account like one an hour. And these phrases have no connection with logic, syntax, context, anything. But they're hilarious because they're so you know like it'll literally send out a tweet saying "delicious mud" and that's it. You know, <laughs> now you two can kiss hair. You know, <laughs> do you have too many horses? Throw one away. Trainer of deadly untrainable horses, you know, <laughs> and it's developed a fan following because people love this shit. And like, there's there's two tumblers. There's one that just writes fan fiction where they take one sentence in there and make that what a horse ebook says. Like I was being stalked by horse ebooks, and then it said do re fa me do re fa fa so 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 fa fa, you know, and like, uh, and then there's also horse e comics, which takes makes comics out of phrases from that, you know. So it's it's perfect and beautiful, and it makes the world a better place. So uh, you shoot too yeah. should be a yeah. fan of horsey books. Yes, you, I have one more. Yeah, it's actually a six year old, I believe, a six year old uh, game that I recently got um, got up again. The movies, okay. Game uh, Lionhead Studios released. I think it was two thousand five. Oh man, I remember that one. That was forever. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I got Windows. I got Windows Seven, so it didn't work. Finally, found a way to play it, and I forgot. I, you go six years and not play a game, yeah. And then suddenly take it up again, and suddenly it's like fresh and new again, yeah. And I must say, it's I'm this, like that way with XCOM. Like, well, uh, XCOM's just beautiful, yeah. But the movies, I, it surprised me how much I'm, I'm playing it again, and it, you know, it's. Yeah, I think you know managing your lots fun, but I think the most is just setting up the scenes and you know make and actually making the movie, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so, um, yeah, kudos, Lionhead, for a game you released six years ago. Um, one, uh, going back to a more mystery investigation kind of thing, uh, I just read the new graphic novel Parker the Outfit, uh, which is based on the film noir, or the noir fiction mystery character Parker, who's a professional criminal. Uh, Mel Gibson portrayed him in Payback, and oh, yeah. there's a whole lot of other movies and things. Uh, anyways, this is a graphic novel based on... Uh, the novel, the outfit where he gets revenge on the outfit, which is their code word for the organization, you know, the syndicate, you know, mm. the, and uh, it's incredibly hard boiled. I mean, he is impossibly tough and grizzled and you know badass, and uh, it is uh, a, a great, you know, great art and great uh, story uh, dialogue. So yeah, uh, and then finally, we all watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that we mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I know it's kind of a bigger movie, but I think it's one. I think I think, it's, I think it's obscure enough. Yeah, it's not. It's not something most people want to just rush out and see. Yeah, it's based on a John Le Carre novel, uh, and it's about Cold War spying and espionage in, and, in like 1973. Yeah, 1973, 1970s London. Uh, Gary Oldman is phenomenal in it as I mean, the yeah, main character. Like, he doesn't even speak for like the first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, he is. It's just all his face. Yeah, uh, he is very reserved shall we yeah. say uh very british yeah uh, although the john hurt his boss in the beginning is the opposite of that yeah 
Um, and it's like great, especially if you're going to do a Call of Cthulhu, that's a great model for how an investigation, a mystery game should be like, you know, that, that kind of level. Lots of just slog, yeah. slog, slogging through legwork. You could really replace it and do it as a Delta Green game, replacing the uh, the spy instead of be, spying for the Soviet Union for a cult or mm-hmm. MJ, Majestic 12 or something like that, and work you know, even better because then there's always that yeah. element. And of, I also I love the infighting that goes on within yeah. the organization, the bureaucratic fighting, the, the little f- the little fiefdoms. Yeah, uh, the bureaucracies are great. Like that's a big element that was uh, then incorporated in the atrocity archives. Uh, makes me want to get the actual Lacare novels and read mm-hmm. them. So I don't know if any of you read them or can't, no. Can't, what were any other impressions of the movie? Uh, I'll just reiterate Gary Oldman. He does a lot with like maybe a page worth or two of dialogue in the screenplay. Like yeah. he's got a pretty solid monologue and then there's kind of a parlor scene. Yeah. And other than that, he just looks like he's being very careful about everything, but he still does a pretty good job characterizing the character. Mm. So, uh, I, I was really impressed. So, yeah. or the scene where just when he's talking about this, his, the Soviet spy master, right. The monologue. Yeah, he does a great job. Yeah. What that he has. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you go on Wikipedia, like there are fans that have written up like their Wikipedia entries for all the major characters in the Care novels. And also, uh, and also, if you think waterboarding is intense, yeah. I kind of like the the scenes they do in that. It's not, yeah. it's torture, but not a twenty, not twenty four. Well, they 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 like I mean, they, they only show you a little bit of it, like a few seconds of it. They didn't show you the also, hours. A lot of, and it, hours a lot of it is just you know just leaving just leaving them there. Yeah, just you know just tight you know just tied up for hours. Yeah. Pretty unpleasant. Yeah. So, uh, and then finally, of course, we have our anecdote. Uh, and, and what an anecdote. <laughs> uh, recently, uh, Aaron finally finished his game, um, The Legacy of Nim, which is what he ran at Gen Con, uh, like where he took, times. yeah, uh, basically taking The Secret of Nim, the Don Bluth animated film, and adding Lovecraftian stuff to it. So, yes, and he yes, ran indeed. it Monsters and Other Childish Things. Uh, we were all mice or rats, or I think we were all rats. Uh, yeah, rats. Intelligent rats. I was the magic rat, the, the rat with magic powers. Um, yeah, and, I, I wasn't in there for the first part. Right. Um, so, yeah, what were your impressions? Well, Caleb, you were there for both sessions. What were you? Well, the Lovecraftian stuff, I had somehow forgot what he was talking about writing. I did not see it coming in the game. Yeah. And then, and then how it came in the game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was trying to play, like, a kind of cutesy, lovable fool character. <laughs> and, man... It, Shit just got real, like <laughs> yeah. It just it just got. It was not a bad game. It was entertaining as hell. Uh, it was very climactic, uh, and you know it had a like nice arc. You know I, I enjoyed the way the characters went through it. But man, it was just like you thought Nim was intense. <laughs> Wait till you see the sequel. Like it just it just came out of nowhere. Uh, this is true. Uh, of course, he, he, there's kind of hints in the first session when you know we had to deal with the humans who were about to tear up a place we had to go into, so we had to get them out of the way. And so Aaron let my character, who had mo- you know magic powers, um, let's see here. What did we do? We I gave a guy an imaginary urinary tract infection uh, again. <laughs> yeah, again. This Ross. is only the second time I've done it in a game. <laughs> but one should have been enough. No, that's my thing now. Anytime I have mind control powers, that's what I'm going to use to <laughs> disable. People, you have a urinary tract infection and deal with it. Uh, My urinary tract was removed in the war. That's not a thing. That's not. Uh, and then the other thing, we put allergens in a guy's hist- 
antihistamine spray, so <laughs> he would have a very bad reaction when he used it, and uh, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, so we nearly killed a guy, you know, by pr- provoking a deadly allergy attack, <laughs> and then gave the other guy incredible pain from an imaginary tract infection. So uh, and that was the first session. That was before things got really real. <laughs> Just Caleb is yeah. I, I was only there for the second part, but yeah. what I understand, yeah, things. Things went into uh, grim dark territory really quick. Yeah, uh, the it, the basic plot involved finding a missing captain of the guard who took some important items from the community and from Thorn Valley or something. Yeah. And we had to go find him, get the items back, and then we found out there's new threat to the kingdom or and bad things are happening. So. Mass graves, yeah. mutilation. <laughs> Just hor- cosmic horror. There's zombies. Okay, I had nothing to do with Aaron having zombies yeah. in there. Like that. That like, do not throw that on me. But yeah, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of if when you're a kid, you see the Jungle Book, the yeah. film, and you know, like blue yeah. fun in the jungle, and then you read like Kipling. <laughs> it reminded me of that transition. You're just like, this is really racist. And then Mowgli like like becomes the beast master and has them like raise a village to the ground and you're just like, Ah, where's Baloo? And that that was my reaction to the game. I just it, you know, Kipling's good. But if you go in expecting something else, it was it was a sudden transition. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I mean, like the same thing with like if you read like the real Little Mermaid or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't quite have the same ending. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 or well, basically all the Disney movies, let's say. Yeah. So, anyways, I think that uh, uh, wraps up this. Good job, episode. Aaron. Good yeah. job. Good job. Yeah, that was a fun game. Uh, he's wanting to run another a Wild Talents game uh, ba- mm-hmm. based in that. So hopefully we'll see how that turns out soon. Uh, and so will you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this has been RPPR episode 69, Critique of Cthulhu. This is Ross Payton. I'm Tom, and Caleb's over here. Ah! He made a noise. Yes. uh, We'll see you next time.
I didn't used to be able to walk, you know, but now I can uh, 